Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, as ministers of the Lord, we teach and preach many things over the years. And I trust that what I have in my spirit to minister today will encourage and bless your heart. There are two objects in antiquity that have captivated the imaginations of men more perhaps than any other. Even the unbelieving world knows about these two biblical objects. The unbelieving world knows about it, and films have been created about these two objects. And one is the Holy Grail, the chalice of Christ, the cup of communion that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper on the eve of his crucifixion. And the other is the Ark of the Covenant, the search for the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant that golden chest, that golden box that represented and was the place of God's presence and power in Israel. And God dwelled between the cherubim of that amazing Ark of the Covenant. The enemies feared the Ark of the Covenant because the people of God were invincible when they were in right relationship to that Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant brought victory to them. It defeated their enemies and it struck terror into the heart of the nations of the world. The search for the Ark of the Covenant. Let's bring up the picture of the Ark. There it is. And for a moment, just capture this in your mind as we go forth in this message. Again, let's trust the Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts and give us some revelation today, perhaps, that we haven't seen. This golden chest, this golden box, it was 45 inches long, two and a half cubits. It was 27 inches wide cubit and a half, and it was 27 inches high, a cubit and a half. And above that box was a cover called the mercy seat, and then the cherubim of glory were upon that cover with their wings folded inward over the place where the blood was applied at the top of the ark, the blood of atonement and forgiveness. And between the wings, the outstretched wings of the cherubim, uh, was the presence of God. It was called the kabod, as we say it, the very ever-enfolding light and fire of God's presence. It was God in dazzling power. It was God in the fullness of his presence upon that beautiful Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark were the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments written on the two tablets. Inside the Ark, second, was the golden pot of manna, the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, uncorruptible. It could not be corrupted in the presence of God, that manna. And inside the ark as well was Aaron's rod that budded with supernatural ministry and resurrection life. This beautiful ark of the covenant. God gave this ark to his people at Mount Sinai. And for 40 years, it led them through the wilderness. The scripture uses a phrase that it went to search out a resting place for them. As the people journeyed through life, it was the ark of God's presence. It was God's presence and power. God represented as being seated on that throne of the ark that led the people and guided them on in their destination and their walk in life. That ark, the fire of God rested on it, cloud by day and fire by night. Cloud by day and fire by night. The cloud of God's presence during the day that mushroomed up, it appears, and fanned out over the people as a great canopy to provide protection and shade from the heat of the day. And how at night the flame of fire, that column of fire, would, would emerge and it would 
go up into the sky as well and fan out over the people as a canopy to give them warmth in the cool wilderness night. Under the ark, they had protection, they had life, and they walked with God. What a glorious ministry they had. And that ark led them for 40 years until they entered the promised land under Joshua. And then that ark was settled in the tabernacle of Moses in a place called Shiloh, the tabernacle at Shiloh, in behind the veil. And there the ark remained. And as long as God's people lived in right relationship to his presence and his power, as long as they honored the house of God and the ministry of the Lord, the people abounded in blessing. But when they began to disregard the presence of God and the house of God and toy lightly with the house of God and become very infatuated with the things of this life and this world, the Bible says they came into affliction. The affliction came into the people of God. There's a verse in 1 Samuel 2 and 32. It says, God said, and, and thou shalt see an enemy, the affliction of the habitation of the Lord. Thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation, in all the wealth which God shall give Israel. What a contrast. God says, I, in all the wealth that I want to give to my people, I want to give my people wealth. But if you're not rightly related to the ark, God says affliction will come into the tabernacle. It'll come into the house. You'll see an enemy. Instead of the Lord, you'll see an enemy. Instead of wealth, you'll see affliction. God says my ark is that important. My presence in your lives and in the midst of the people is that important. The apostle said, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Above all things that you would prosper financially and be in health physically even as your soul, your spirit prospers in all the wealth which God would give Israel. Hallelujah. The Lord wants to give us wealth. He wants to break the curse of sin and sickness and poverty in our lives. The Lord wants to give us the wealth of his kingdom. He wants to give us prosperity in our spirit, our soul, and our body. God says, if you relate rightly to the ark and to my house and to my ministry, the blessing of the Lord will prosper in your life and in your family. 1 Samuel 4, there was violation in the house of God. Disregard for the Lord. Disregard for the ministry. Disregard for worship and the offerings of the Lord. And because of it, the ark went into captivity. And God allowed, as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 32, God allowed the affliction of his tabernacle. The Philistine enemy came and tore down the tabernacle of God. And they took the precious ark of the covenant. They took the ark of the covenant into enemy territory. And they put it in the house of their god, Dagon. But in the morning when they came to the temple, Dagon had fallen on his face. And all of a sudden, judgments began to fall among the Philistines in their land, in their cities. Destruction in their cities and plagues on the people and tumors began to break out in their bodies and mice overran the land. And they shifted the ark around from city to city. Nobody wanted it. And finally, they made inquiry of their diviners and their enchantments and the instruction was, you send that ark back 
to Israel. And so a few miles across the border, back into Israel, the ark came. But strangely, no one really bothered with it. And for 70 years, it was set aside. They took it and pushed it into the house of a priest named Abinadab. And he put it in some attic or some storage shed. And for 70 years, it was neglected and set aside until David came to the throne. David, at 37 years of age, was given rulership over all Israel and Judah. From 30 to 37, he ruled Judah. And then, at 37, the whole kingdom of Israel became his. And the first thing David said, he said, I must find a place for the ark of God. I must find a place for the presence of God, for the power of God in the midst of his people, in all the wealth in all the wealth which the Lord shall give his people. Psalm 132 and verse 1. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, his warfare for the kingdom, his intercessions, his prophetic spirit. Lord, remember David and his prayers, his afflictions, his sacrifice, how he swore to the Lord our God and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. I'm not going to bed, David said. I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm going to find a place for the ark of God. It was the burning desire of David that the presence of God would have its rightful place in the midst of his life, his family, and in all Israel. And David made inquiry and found out the ark was pushed aside into the house of Abinadab, and he, he went to retrieve the ark. And as he brought the ark from the house of Abinadab, he brought it on a new cart pulled by oxen, and the Bible says it was to be born on the shoulders of the priests. The people of God have to take responsibility for the ark. You can't have it pulled by some artificial means. You have to shoulder the ark. You have to carry the presence of God. And because they didn't do it after the appointed order, the Bible says as they came to the threshing floor, where the wheat is separated from the chaff, these judgments of the Lord came upon them for the oxen stumbled and a man named Uzzah reached out to steady the ark and as he did he was struck down in the presence of God the Bible says David was displeased David was displeased and David was afraid he was afraid that day the whole celebration the whole rejoicing bringing the ark to Zion the whole ceremony had been halted in a moment and death fell upon it and David slunk home to Jerusalem. He began to wait on the Lord, but at that moment where they were was a man named Obed-Edom, and they took the ark and set it aside into his house. Obed-Edom was a Gittite. It appears that he was a Gentile who had become a member of Israel. Man of the nations. Accepted the true God, Jehovah, and began to worship him and walk in the covenant of the Lord. And that Ark of the Covenant came into his house. And the family began to gather around that Ark. They began to reminisce. They began to 
investigate the history of that ark, what it did, the power of God, the presence of God, the blessing of God in his people when they were rightly related to the ark and that family began to honor the ark and they began to worship the Lord and they began to respect the presence of God in their home and the Bible says the Lord began to bless the house of Obed-Edom. 2 Samuel 6, 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. The Lord has blessed the house, the family of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. David went back after three months. He said, we need the ark. He took it out of the house of Obed-Edom and he brought it to Zion. And as he was walking out from Obed-Edom's house, Obed-Edom and his family were so overcome by the presence of God that they said, we can't live without it anymore. We can't live without the glory of God in our home. We can't live without this manifest felt presence of God. We are going to pack up everything we own. We're going to pack up our life. And Obed-Edom and his entire family walked behind that ark and walked to Zion and became dwellers in Jerusalem. They said, we're going to take up our dwelling place in Jerusalem. And we find them then how the grace of God came upon a Gentile. Not an Israelite, the grace of God upon a Gentile because he was hungry and thirsty for the presence of God. And, and Obed-Edom was given a place as a porter in the house of God. And he raised his sons and his family in the presence of the Lord on Zion's hill and later in the temple of Solomon for generations to come. And those sons and those daughters, it says, became mighty men and women, men and women of valor. They carried the presence of God. They carried a prophetic anointing. They walked in the power of God because they had a thirst and a hunger for the presence of the Lord. Obed-Edom penned the words, I would rather be a doorkeeper, Psalm 84, in the house of God than dwell in the tents of pleasure of the people throughout the land. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. He said, one day in your courts, O Lord, is better than a thousand elsewhere. How he loved the presence of God. How his family loved the presence of God. How they loved the house of the Lord, the place where God's people dwelt. In all the wealth which the Lord shall give Israel. And there on Zion's hill, as the scripture unfolds, David set up a simple tent which housed the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was always under wraps under coverings when it was in its travels or in behind the veil, no one could see it in the Holy of Holies. But on Zion's hill in David's tabernacle, the ark was in open view of all who had a heart to come out of all Israel to bask in the divine glory of God, to be under the presence of God, under that ever-enfolding light and fire of God's presence. For the Bible says in Psalm 50 and 3, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. God has shined. For 35 years, under David's administration, the people could come night and day from all over the land and bask in the felt presence of God. What a day of anointing. What a day of beauty. What a day of power. 
24 hours a day, worshipers and singers were ministering before the Lord. You say, who was there at 2 o'clock in the morning? God was. And they were ministering to him. And they were blessing him. And the people could come and go as their schedule allowed. 35 years they lived in that presence of God. That beautiful power of God. It was a day like no other day. David's day. The glory of Israel. The crowning beauty of God upon his people. It was in David's day that they were able to gain all the land inheritance that God had given them and possess it. From the entering in of Egypt all the way to the river Euphrates, they took the entire land. There was not one enemy that was able to stand before them. And the blessing of God rested on the people like never before. In all the wealth, in all the wealth which the Lord shall give Israel. And then the temple of Solomon was built. And the ark was put back inside the veil in the Holy of Holies and no one was able to look upon it. But God had let out the secret of his heart in David's day. Open, manifest presence of God. Openness of the ark to all who are hungry and thirsty and want to partake of the life and presence of God. For 400 years in the temple of Solomon after David's day, the ark was in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and kings of Israel either regarded it or they didn't. Generations of God's people, some honored the ark and the house of God, and some didn't. But finally, the sin and idolatry and the casualness of the people became so overwhelming and overrun the cup that God said, my ark's going back into captivity again. The enemy is going to take the ark. And Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 586. 586 B.C. In the 70-year captivity, the ark was taken from the house of God. The Babylonians came. They destroyed the house of God. They destroyed the city. They took the sacred vessels. They took the holy furniture and carried it to Babylon. And after the captivity of 70 years, we read about the vessels. But there's one thing you never read about again because it vanished from history. It disappeared. And that was the Ark of the Covenant. You never read about it again. And there can only be one reason. Because God was moving on and God was showing an advancing picture of something that was greater to come. And Jeremiah the prophet who was there at the destruction of Jerusalem he was the one who prophesied the destruction. He was the man in touch with God in that time and said, there's going to be affliction in the house of God. There's going to be an enemy in the house of God because of disregard, because of violation, because of casualness to the presence of God in all the wealth which the Lord would give Israel. And Jeremiah prophesied these words in Jeremiah 3, 14. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, the dwelling place of God. Not some hill in the Middle East, but to the heavenly Zion, the true city of God. I will bring you to Zion. These words are for us today. And I will give you shepherds, according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Then it shall come to pass, 
when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made any more. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations... This must be the new covenant. This must be the gathering of the redeemed from the four corners of the earth, from every land and people. God says, at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. This is the heavenly Jerusalem, which we're a part of now. This is the city of God of which we belong to. And all nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. God says the day is coming when I'm going to bring people out of the nations. I'm going to bring one from a city and I'm going to bring two from a family. I'm going to bring them to my dwelling place. I'm going to bring them to my holy hill, to Zion. And I'll give them shepherds who will feed them the word of God and the living truths of the scriptures. God says, I'll set my throne among them, and nobody's going to say, what about the Ark of the Covenant? Where's the Ark? God says, it will not come to mind, nor will it be remembered, nor will it be visited, nor will it be made ever again. Because God had something far greater in mind. And the next time you read of the Ark, it's in John chapter 20 and verse 11. At the empty tomb, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. The ark, the glory of God, with two angels, one at the front and one at the back, one at the head and one at the foot. The Holy Spirit doesn't want us to miss it. Jesus Christ is the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. The Ark of the Covenant, Jesus Christ our Lord, the glory of God dwelling him. The Bible says the fullness of God dwelt within him bodily. Jesus, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a simple box. It was a simple frame made of acacia wood. In Christ's case, sinless humanity. God of God and very man of man. Simple, sinless humanity, but covered with gold within and without Jesus Christ, glorious within and glorious without, fully surrendered to God within. There was no stain. There was no sin. Only the glory of God lived on the inside in his image and in his character, and he was holy without. He never misspoke. He never sinned. He knew how to handle the, the presence of God in every situation in his life and how to honor it. He was glorious within and without. Within Christ, the Ark of the Covenant were the tables of the covenant, the law of Ten Commandments, which are a perfect love for God and 
proper love for man and Jesus Christ fulfilled the law of God, that righteousness law of the law perfectly. For the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. In his sinlessness, Jesus magnified the Father perfectly and honored the Father perfectly in his life and he always conducted himself with proper love for mankind. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus our Lord, the golden pot of manna, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the inexhaustible provision of God in his word, the word of God that lives and abides forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus Christ, the incorruptible supply, the golden pot of manna within him, and Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod that was laid up in the presence of God and took on supernatural fruitfulness and ministry and anointing. No one ever laid himself up in the presence of God as perfectly as Jesus did, Christ did in his humanity and in his submission. Laid up in the presence of God. My, the anointing, the miraculous life, the fruitfulness of the Son of God. Cherubim of glory. Presence of God upon his life. Hebrews 9 and verse 4 talks about the ark, which had the golden censer, and now the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it, were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, the mercy seat, the place of mercy where the blood was applied. The apostle said, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. And he didn't. But the Holy Spirit didn't want it hidden from us. And the Holy Spirit has given all of us understanding and revelation through the word of God. And we know who the Ark of the Covenant. It's our precious Lord and Savior. And on that ark, that cover of the ark, the blood of atonement, the blood of Calvary was sprinkled that we might have received true forgiveness of sins for Jesus Christ was the ultimate and perfect sacrifice for the sins of the people and the sins of the world. We know that Jesus Christ has forgiven our sins. His blood has been sprinkled. Cherubim of glory looking down in wonder and humility at the redemptive plan of God. And we understand who the Ark of the Covenant is. We understand the mercy of God. We understand the blessing of God today because John chapter 20 and verse 11, there was an angel at the head and an angel at the foot where the body of Christ had lain. Jesus Christ is the true Ark of the Covenant. But I want to go on one more. Fully and finally, the Ark of the Covenant is you. The Ark of the Covenant is you. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And we also are a place now for the presence of the Lord. Two men went up to the temple to pray in Luke chapter 18. Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The word merciful is the same word as mercy seat, only in, in verb form. He was saying, God, be mercy seated to me, a sinner. God, be propitiated. God, put the blood of sprinkling. Put the blood of sprinkling on my heart. That's the altar you're after. Put your blood on my heart. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Put the blood here, O oh Lord. Put the blood here. There's one place where the blood was applied, and that was on the mercy seat. Lord, let this be the mercy seat. It's my heart that needs forgiveness. I'm the one that's broken your law. I'm the one that's a sinner. I'm the one that's a rebel in nature. I need your transforming power. I need your cleansing. I need to be justified, put in right relationship with you. Put the blood here. And my, how glorious it is that the blood has been applied to our heart. The altar of our heart is what God is after more than any other altar. Many, any other altar in history paled in comparison to what God really is after. And that is the surrender and submission of your life and mine to the Lord. That he can rule and reign and manifest his glory in our ark of the covenant, in our lives, and rest upon us in his power. Think about it this morning. We are an ark of the covenant. We are a simple frame box the acacia wood of redeemed humanity, not sinless humanity. We're the acacia wood of redeemed humanity, cut out from the world, taken out from the world, and fashioned for the presence of God, overlaid, inlaid within and without with gold. Overlaid within and without, holiness within and holiness without cry of our heart is to serve God with all our being from within, that we would have the character and the nature and the spirit of Christ in all ways, and that outwardly in our character and in our demonstration of life, we would honor the Son of God. It would be holiness within and holiness without, that we would break off our sins in righteousness and follow the Lord with all our heart. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, the Apostle Paul said, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh outwardly and all filthiness of the Spirit inwardly. And let us serve the Lord acceptably with grace and godly fear down inside of us. Hallelujah. The tables of the covenant, not written now on tablets of stone, but as the Bible says, written by the Spirit of God on the soft pliable, surrendered, fleshy tables of our heart. Not written with ink, but the Holy Spirit is writing his word on our hearts day and night. He's putting it down in us so that we begin to walk out the righteousness of the law of God with perfect love for God and proper love for man. Down inside of us, the golden pot of manna, the word of God. Down inside of us, the provision of God, that which is incorruptible, that which is not able to be defiled, the word of God living in its power, in our soul, in our spirit, to the glory of God. Down inside of us, Aaron's rod that budded, 
laid up in the presence of God. It's a miracle. We don't understand it. It's so supernatural. But out of a dead stick of a life, we come forth in fruitfulness and ministry and the joy of the Lord and fruitfulness and the blessing of God. And above the altar of our heart, atop the altar of our heart, the felt presence of God in our lives, that we walk with the presence of God in our lives. We sense him. We know him. We honor him. We feel his presence. We feel his power. We feel his compelling because the blood has been applied upon our lives. Angels watching over us, marveling at what God has done in our lives to the glory of God. The search for the Ark of the Covenant is over if you will receive it. If you will receive it. And it will not come to mind, nor will it be remembered forever because of the surpassing glory of God in our lives, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We now live in the glory of God. Worship team, come. Isaiah 60 and verse 1. Listen to these beautiful words out of the KJV. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. That's God's word to us. Know who you are this morning. See your value. Don't let the enemy beat you down. Don't take on a lesser life than what God has given you. God says, you're my Ark of the Covenant. You're filled with my glory. The presence of God rests on your life, and I will lead you, and I will guide you. He said, arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. The word glory is the word kabod. It's the word kabod. It's the very glory that rested on the Ark of the Covenant, that ever-shining fire and power and light of God's presence. God says, you arise and shine, for your light is come, and the kabod is risen upon you. The glory of God is upon the Ark of your life, and you can walk in the power and presence and beauty of the Lord every day of your life. Let's stand together this morning. Hallelujah. 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 In all the wealth which the Lord shall give Israel, in all the wealth which the Lord will give his people, let's open up our hearts this morning. With outstretched wings, with outstretched hands, just let the glory of the Lord fill you rest upon you, be activated afresh in your life, sense the presence of God. Thank God for who you are. Thank you for the redeemed life you have, for the covering of the gold within and without, for the word of God, for a ministry that's fruitful, for righteousness in your life, blood-sprinkled heart now before the Lord. Receive all that God has for you today. Walk in the power of the Lord. Receive his goodness. 
Is there any here this morning that need to respond to the altar? Respond in consecration. Respond in dedication to the Lord. Say, I need to honor the ark. I need to honor the presence of God. I need to honor the church. I need to come out of my spiritual drift. I need to walk with God in power and obedience. I want to be like one of the sons of Obed-Edom. I want to be a man like David with a heart after God. Listen, this altar calls for you. You come out from where you are and you give yourself to God and you don't turn back and you make a line in the sand today and you walk out in the presence of God with a new spirit. You put a line. It's the bloodline to walk on in God's power. If you need to, Respond to the altar today. Please come. Give yourself to the Lord. Let's worship together.